Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Amen. I want to read a scripture first. Again, it's familiar, but if it's Proverbs 15, 15, and the Amplified Bible, if they want to put it up, Proverbs 15, 15. Hallelujah. I'll read it. It says, all the days, all the days of the desponding and afflicted are made evil. And then it says this in parentheses, by anxious thoughts and foreboding. But he who has a glad heart has a continual feast regardless of circumstances. Hallelujah. Amen. But I want to read it again. All the days of the desponding and afflict that are made evil, the reason, it says when you study it, the reason, the reason days are made evil, it says are because of anxious thoughts. Anxious thoughts. Everybody say that with me. Anxious thoughts. Hallelujah. Our days are made worse because of anxious thoughts. And I, I looked it up again and again when I was praying about what to speak on this morning. I had a lot of different things. There's things I want to start for a series again, but I've got a lot of single Sundays and I wanted to do something. And he kept speaking to me about this. The word anxious, uh, if you look it up in a, any good dictionary, it comes from a Latin word that's spelled A-N-G-U-E-R-E, angera. I don't know how to pronounce it. But the actual definition, and, and this is also the definition of the word from... Uh, W. Vines and uh, Lewandita's lexicon. The word anxious means, well, the actual root of the word means to strangle. I didn't know that. To strangle. But it says it means to be worried, distressed. It's a derivative of angry, to strangle, to inflict pain and distress, to torment, to choke, or to squeeze. To choke or to squeeze, to strangle. Anxiety strangles the life out of your day. It will choke you so there's no air. You won't be able to breathe. Anxiety. Anxious thoughts and forebodings. Then Proverbs went on to say, but he who has a glad heart has a continual feast, regardless of circumstances. So I want to talk again a little bit about our thought life, because I saw something. I'm going to read one article here at the beginning. I've got just a second article I'm going to read when I finish that really said something to me that um, gave me revelation, something I really enjoyed. But guys, if you could put up the first article that starts Thoughts Per Day. There you go. Just read this with me. Abraham Lincoln once said, most folks are about as happy as they want to be. Was he implying that when it comes to our happiness, we actually have a choice? Apparently, yes. Research abounds on the impact of positive and negative thinking on ourselves and others. And the fact that we have the potential to transform ourselves by changing our habits of mind. For years, it was thought that the brain was fixed and immutable, that we were stuck with what we were born with in terms of our hardware and its abilities. Then came research to show we were wrong, including Sharon Beckley's book, Train Your Mind, Change Your Brain, which offered groundbreaking documentation to support the idea that we can even change our brains by changing our thoughts. The results are staggering. 
these breakthroughs in our understanding show it is possible to, quote, reset our happiness meter to the point that they found you can regain the use of limbs that have been disabled by a stroke. You can train the mind to break cycles of depression and OCD. You can even reverse age-related changes in the brain. All of this comes from the science that's been done by the Ennis of the National Science Foundation. Now think about that again. The results were staggering. These breakthroughs in our understanding show it's impossible to, I like that statement, it's possible to reset your happiness meter. We're not supposed to go around sad. We really are supposed to, the Bible says rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Over and over and over again, God's word says we are to rejoice. In James, we all know the verse that says we're to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations and trials. And it sounds so opposite to the way our lives are. I mean, it really, that word counted, it is an accounting term, which means to add it, add these things up and let the sum of those things be joy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and trials of your faith, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience and patience or, you know, if you let patience have its perfect work, you'll come out perfect on the other side, wanting nothing. Incredible truth. And he goes on to say, so where do we start? On the article again. What, need, what needs to be changed about the way we think anyway? Let's look first at the number and nature of our thoughts. We humans, it seems, have anywhere from 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. And when you read the rest of it, you find out it says, depending on how much of a deep thinker you are. But all these facts, even the second article I'm going to read later, refers to this and just says 60,000. But when you look it up, they say that, again, that the average human being comes out every day with the minimum of 15,000 thoughts and as many as 60,000 thoughts a day. But just, so just hang in there. We humans, it seems, have anywhere from 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. But according to some research, as many as 98% of them are exactly the same as we had the day before. Talk about creatures of habit. Even more significant, listen to this, 80% of our thoughts are negative. This is important because of what we call the mind-body connection. This is the word in medical terms, psychoneuroimmunology. This is science talking about this. That 80% of the normal human being's thought life is negative. We're supposed, you and I are supposed to have our minds renewed. Anyway, this is basic, but it's just like I said, these articles. I love when you read how somebody else talk about it. So as many as 98% of them are exactly the same as we had the day before. Talk about creatures that have it even more significant. 80% of our thoughts are negative. This is important because of what we call the mind-body connection. You know what this is you know what this is from your own experience. If you're tired physically, it's hard to think clearly. On the other hand, if you've been using your mind doing mental work all day, you're likely to feel the effects physically too. Negative thoughts are particularly draining. Thoughts containing words like never, should, can't, complaints, whining, or thoughts that diminish our own or another's sense of self-worth deplete the body by producing corresponding chemicals that weaken the physiology. No wonder we're exhausted at the end of the day. Now again, you've heard me share before of our, our friend we had that was a 
doctor of psychology at Old Roberts University. When you think, whatever you think, you know, the front part is the thinking part of the brain, the back is the is the feeling, is the the feeling part of the brain, the thinking part of the brain. The front, I'm sorry, it's the thinking part of the brain, the back part is the feeling part of the brain. What you think, what you think, what you think, physiologically, you know, God's does God know how he made you? Say yes, please. Possibly God knows how he made you. Not sure about some of us in here, but most of us, God knows how he made us. When you, what you think causes chemicals to be released. When you think good thoughts, one portion of your brain releases chemicals, but it's a totally different area of your brain when you think bad thoughts that releases their chemicals. And chemicals that are released because of what you think that are then transmitted to, to the feeding part of the brain, the feeling part of the brain then releases those chemicals. And remember that they go to every, every human, every physical body, every cell of your body, remember, every human cell has something called a receptor site. A little thing like a, like a little lid that lifts up and comes down. Chemicals flow to the cells of the human body and they will sit upon the top of the cell and whatever, and then that cell will open up and receive that chemical, and then physiologically that cell in your body begins to be what it is from the thought that you began to think. That's proven by science. Isn't that weird? I see you're all ready to go home already. The chemicals produced by the body as a response to this kind of thought are more likely to support you in fulfilling your goal when you think good things. Pastor Will Bowen, who I don't know, of Christ Church Unity in Kansas City, knows well the power of changing the way you think. In an effort to help his congregation find a concrete way to focus on what they do want rather than what they don't want, he created a purple bracelet. Now think of this is so simple. <clears throat> he created a purple bracelet and gave one to everyone at church one Sunday. Now because it takes around 21 days to create a new habit, the idea was for people to switch the bracelet to the other wrist if they found something, found themselves complaining, one of the most common forms of negative thinking, and then to keep switching it until they'd gone a full 21 days without a single complaint. Did you go 21 days without one single complaint? need to be able to look so I can see the, how many people are lying. 21 days I'm making a complaint. The Complaint Free World Project exploded from 250 braces to 5 million in nine months. Pastor Will receives letters daily from schools, prisons, hospitals, churches, businesses, even the Pentagon telling him what a powerful and physical, positive impact the bracelets are having, families are getting closer, people's health are improving, people are turning their lives around. This is an article by a woman named Jennifer Hawthorne that you can go online and read. She's part of a, uh, a different wellness thing. Now with that, turn to Matthew 6 and just think on that a bit, like I said. And let's read through again what Jesus said. Yes, I know that you know these, but you know, teaching comes to repetition, so that's tough. You need to hear it again. Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus is speaking, of course, this is the latter part of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Therefore, I tell you, stop. Everybody say stop. Stop. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, stop. Stop. Say it again. You didn't say it with much meaning. Stop. (laughs) We parents know how to say that to our kids. Therefore, I really picture Jesus. He's up here on the mount. Basically, as you've heard me share before, this is really a leadership thing because it was his 12 disciples that he was speaking to here. And as he finishes chapter uh, chapter 7, really, is when all the multitude came to him. Put yourself in Scripture, like I was saying. Listen to him. Pretend he's sitting next to you and he turns to you and he says, Listen, stop being perpetually uneasy and anxious. What's anxious mean? What what definition can you remember? To strangle, to choke, to torment, to squeeze. Listen, I tell you, stop being perpetually uneasy and anxious and worried about your life. Amen. We're going to go home now. Stop being perpetually uneasy and anxious. They're worried about your life. Now, that's one thing to be told that, but how do you do it? You know what I mean? He said, but stop doing this. He said about your life, uh, worrying about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life greater in quality? Think about this. He's, everything he's talking about has to do with life, but yet he's speaking of evidently another level of life. He said... The life, in other words, he said, I'm trying to get to you. Listen to this. The life, Jesus said, I'm trying to get to you is outside of your worry about natural life. I'm trying to get you to another life. You're trying to live this life, a lower life. I'm trying to get you to a higher life. So stop. Quit worrying about what you, quit saying what you shall eat. Well, remember, this is, I have to stop here, because remember in the King James, this is that incredible statement where he says, take no thought. Do you hear that? Take no thought, saying. Take no thought, saying, what shall I eat? What shall I wear? What shall I drink? Really, please, Though you've heard it before, really, really catch the importance of this. Take no thought saying. A thought has no power until you say it. A thought has no power. He's telling you, you're going to have thoughts, but don't take them. In other words, if that's the truth, then you can deny those thoughts from having influence over you. I said you can deny wrong thoughts from dictating and having influence over you. Take no thought, saying, what shall I eat, what shall I wear, so on. He says, is not life greater in quality than food and the body far above and more excellent than clothing? Verse 26. And then he says, look. And he tells you to look at things that you can see around you that are part of his father's creation. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or nor reap, yet or nor gather into barns. And yet, 
your heavenly Father keeps feeding them. And then you have to answer the last portion of the verse, don't you? Are you not worth much more than they? You have to answer that. I said you have to answer that. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 27. And who of you, by worrying, is anybody in here ever worried? I can say we'll have an altar call for liars. <laughs> and who of you, by worrying, in other words, have you had any past success with your worry? Who of you, by worrying and being anxious, can add one unit of measure or a cubit to a stature or to the span of his life? Verse 28, and why should you be anxious about clothes? And then he said, look again, consider the lilies of the field. And he said to learn something. And this is something I did a long time ago, but I don't know where my notes are. But he says, learn thoroughly how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. In other words, they're not agitated. Yet I tell you, verse 29, even Solomon in all his magnificence and excellence and dignity and grace was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. But if God, if, if our God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and green, and tomorrow is tossed into the furnace, another question. Will he not much more surely clothe you Oh, you have little faith? Now stop there. I didn't, how many of you know again, like I say, I didn't write the Bible. Is that a shock to anybody? Is that a shock to anybody? No. I didn't write the Bible. Think about what he's really saying. We do have to be honest with Scripture. He said if we find ourselves in these situations where we are worrying about these things, he said we're people of little faith. Now that is not a condemnation. That's a location. He's locating where you're at, and he's trying to communicate to you that there's another life. There's a higher place to live. You don't have to choose these or this form of life. You don't have to choose living at this lower level. You can choose a higher level of life. Again, verse 31, he said, Therefore, do not worry. This is a command. Therefore, do not worry and be anxious. And again, this is where it says, Take no thought, saying... Take no thought, saying, therefore do not worry and be anxious, saying, what are we going to have to eat? What are we going to have to drink? What are we going to have to wear? Then he likens us to the Gentiles or the pagans. Verse 32, for the Gentiles, the heathen, they wish for and they crave and they diligently seek all these things. In other words, that's what they do. But he says, but your heavenly Father knows well. Now this is something you and I have to place ourselves in agreement with. Did you hear me? We need to set ourselves in agreement. We don't have to arm wrestle God for these things. I said we do not, we're not supposed to think that we're going to arm wrestle God by some deep travail of prayer to get these things. That's against us. That's not God's nature. That's not who love is. That's simply not who love is. Your heavenly Father knows well. Your heavenly Father, guys, knows well that you have need of these things. 
your heavenly father knows well that you have need of these things. So try to read between the lines. These things aren't actually things you're supposed to be always concerned with, always talking about. Because to always concern yourself, to always fret and worry about this stuff, kind of says, God has no idea what I'm going through. Now you got to think of the implication to that. That's heavy. At some point, we're going to have to manifest in our own lives the revelation of God in us and God for us to the point that we realize, you know what? I'm going to just do life. I refuse. I'm, I'm not. The struggles will come, but I refuse to place myself within the dimensions of the struggle. And tell, let me tell you, I'm not sitting up here saying that's easy. Because it isn't. I said it isn't. But that's not the point. You see, this is it. Then we begin to focus on the struggle instead of focusing on the God who knows well what I'm going through. Remember when you quote unquote pray to God and you say things, prayer is not, prayer really isn't about notifying God what's going on. Remember. Because to do that, again, is kind of like just in case you're hard of hearing. <laughs> I want to, you know, do this. There's all the difference in the world between telling God what's going on and putting yourself in agreement with what God has already said. Like Judy used the verse in Job, we decree and declare a thing. We decree and we declare a thing that it might be. Uh, we, uh, he said, your father knows well, but then he puts in, we all know the verse. He said, but if you'll seek, if you'll aim at, if you'll strive, if you're going to strive after anything, strive after this, if you'll seek first of all his kingdom. And this is why I, I do love the Amplified here because again, as Again, I say this many times, but in the old days, you know, so you'd hear people quote Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 33, seek you first the kingdom of God, and what they were trying to tell you is you better go to church. Do you know what I mean? That's what it means to seek the kingdom. You're not, you know, if you're not going to church, or you're not seeking the kingdom at all. But really, it says, but seek, aim at, and strive, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness. And then it says this in parentheses, his way of doing in other words, he said, if you'll seek God's kingdom, if you'll discover how this kingdom functions, hallelujah, if you'll discover how this kingdom functions, if I may use the word laws, the laws like the law of the spirit of faith, the law of the spirit of faith, right? If we'll learn how the kingdom functions, he then says, then all those things taken together, they will happen for you. Now, I'm quoting a guy named Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who never lied. He never lied. He said, and then all these things taken together, what things? The things you need to drink, the things you need to eat, the things you need to wear. Dun, 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 dun. 
I need a beat for that, David. I need a beat. He said, if you'll find out how the kingdom works, if you'll have a revelation of the right standing you already have through faith in Christ Jesus, and then you'll learn how to cooperate. See, any kingdom principle has to be cooperated with. But right now this morning, I'm just talking about our thoughts again. And so then he says in verse 34, he finishes again, this is a command, this isn't a suggestion. Do not worry or be anxious. Don't allow yourself to be strangled, choked, or tormented. So do not worry or be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own. But sufficient for each day is its own trouble. And I could say a lot more about that because of things I've taught in the past, but I don't want to. Now, <clears throat> remember, turn to 1 Peter 5 anyhow. I wasn't going to go there, but let's read another very, very familiar verse about casting our care. Hallelujah. I'm going to start in verse 6. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves. Maybe I should have read the second half of the verse before. Remember, the second half of the verse before says, For God has, he sets himself against the proud. Right? God sets himself against the proud. He's not angry. He just can't let anything that has pride in it get close to it. So that's why, like, for example, like strife, you know, where there's strife, there's, where there's contention, there's strife. Only by contention come and strife, Proverbs 13.10. So we have to be honest again with ourselves if we're angry, if we have, you know, by God's grace, by now, hopefully we all know it is stupid to be in unforgiveness. It's just outright stupid. Because again, you're thinking... I mean, it's like you think you're hurting someone else, and of course you're only hurting yourself. You've actually put a wall up between you and heaven because God resists the proud. If he sees that you're holding on to strife, anxiety, or strife, angst, anger, anything against anybody, God sees that as pride, and the Bible said God resists the proud. You're, you're, anyhow, hopefully we know that. But then in verse 6 it says, Therefore, humble yourselves, demote or lower yourselves in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. How do you humble yourself? Verse 7. How do you humble yourself? How do you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? It's not by falling on your knees right now and then putting your head on the floor and looking holy. The way you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God is by getting rid of your words. The way you humble yourself before Almighty God is by casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. Doesn't that sound a lot like Matthew 6 where He says, you know, your Father knows well what you're going through? Casting the whole of your care, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. Verse 7, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns. Does it say all? No, really, does it? Does it even mean that one? 
I said, does it, does it possibly also include that worry? You know the worry I'm talking about. The one that you, you're holding on to as tight as you can because it, it's, you got to. I got to worry about this. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all. Man, it's incredible. Once and for all. In other words, let it be a one-time deal. I cast my care. I used to always use the old illustration, like I'd take my pen out of my pocket. I'd throw it. The word cast, you've heard me share, it's a shepherding terms. It means a violent toss. Because when cares are heavy, the burdens, the, you know, anxiety burdens a man's heart. It just literally, Proverbs says, you know, it just brings heaviness to the heart. And he said, here, you've got to cast your care. You've got to, and the word care is the same word for anxiety. It's this merinma, M-E-R-I-N-M-A, which means torment, to strangle, to choke, to, to, to produce distress and pain. It says, cast your care. You've got to toss it violently. You've got to get rid of it. And so I, would, I used to throw, my, throw a pin or something, and somebody in the front row said, there, that was my care. Now, if you ask me, Rod, how do you feel about this situation? I can say, because it's true, um, I don't have the care. Why don't I have it? Why don't I have it? Why don't I have the care? Because I gave it to someone else, right? But again, as we all know, another person walks up to you about an hour later and says, uh, what are you going to do about that situation? And you go, well, my, you know, I don't have any care. I don't know. I'm not worried about it. It's not my problem. Then an hour later, another person walks up and says, you know, what are you going to do about that? And you go, I don't, well, I don't, well, I, uh, it's okay. I'm not going to do anything. And an hour later, somebody else walks up and says, what are you going to do about that, Rod? And you go, fine. Well, you know, and you, don't, and you telescope your arm up 30 feet out there. You stretch out like the Fantastic Four. And you take it, and you can, of course, take the care back. And you see, I had to learn, and I'm still learning, and we're all still learning this. If it's in my hands, it is my responsibility. If I can get it into God's hands and actually cut the umbilical cord once and for all and say, this is yours, then it's no longer my responsibility. Now, I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm talking about understanding what it means to really not allow the care of this world to strangle you. I have to say, it's in my Father's hands. It's in my Father's hands. What are you going to do about it? I've done my part. I've cast my care upon my Father. And I trust in His unfading love. This is why, again, I don't know, you know, you have to preach it forever. Like I keep saying, I don't know any other analogy. It's just that suddenly, it's like the Bible says, suddenly the day star arises in your heart. All of a sudden, this isn't the teaching that you've learned. It's, 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 it's tattooed and just ripped into your spirit. And you realize, just like, I'm not going to be in unforgiveness. I'm not going to stand strife. And this thing, I can't carry this anyhow, so I may as well throw it into God's hands. I always remember the story of Richard Roberts, who took over Oral Roberts University. And when he took it over, it was something, I don't remember. Julie said she thought it was like 40 million. How many? 80 million? I don't remember. All I know is a whole lot of millions of dollars in debt. And Richard Roberts tells a story about how he was sitting here at the desk 
president of Oral Roberts University and looking at all these pieces of paper saying that they're going to foreclose on this part of the property on Friday. They're going to put uh, a lock on any possible finances of the of the university on by Friday and how basically everything was going to be gone. All this incredible work of his father, the whole legacy, everything, Oral Roberts University. And he said, I looked at it, and he said, suddenly, I just looked at it, and I realized this is so big. I mean, how, you know, who are you to think that by worrying, you can add anything to your life? But just hear the phrase, who are you to think that by worrying, Jesus said this, not me. Who are you to think that by worrying, you can add something? Worrying only takes something. Did you hear me? And Roberts talks about how, you know, this is always one of those wonderful stories, way before all the story about holy laughter, but he said he, found, he just looked at it and suddenly he found himself going, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I, there's nothing I can do about this. And he just starts, he said, and he just started to laugh. <laughs> He who has a glad heart has a continuous feast regardless of circumstances. A glad heart. Anybody here have a glad heart? I know that people think I'm a fool because I joke a lot and I do stuff, but I can't help the fact that, you know, and I'm not trying to pat myself in the back, but something, a trigger was pulled, a flitch, a flitch. There you go. A flitch was flipped in me and... I mean, I just recognize I got redeemed from so much. I mean, I'm not the, you know, the, the devil himself, but I mean, I got redeemed from so much that I found myself having a pretty good glad heart. I do have a glad heart. And I don't apologize for that. But hear what the Bible is saying about this. And, and Robert just found himself, he said, I just started going, I, he's, I didn't try to, I didn't, you know, put it on. He said, it just started to happen. I realized the absolute fruitlessness of me trying to figure this out. It wasn't a matter of calling up donors or calling up anything. He said it was way past that. I mean, you can read the story. He's written about it. But he just starts to laugh. <laughs> and he said in about 10 minutes, he, was, he thought he was going nuts. He was just laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing, just at gut level. You know, if you're, you know what they mean by a belly laugh, where you just like Julie says, I hack when I'm, I can't help it up. Whatever I go, you know. But I mean, he just started going crazy in laughter to the point he said he found himself almost dizzy with the joy of the Lord. Just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh until he, the laugh, listen to this, the laughter brought the strength to repel the care. And of course, the testimony is within five days, three people who were not saved, who were business people looking for tax write-offs, sent checks for multiple millions of dollars. And just out of nowhere, not some Christian, not a Christian organization, unsaved, lost people sent checks for millions of dollars that wiped out the entire debt. You know, the, you know, this is there's so much about this that we've not really mined the depths of. You know, to, God doesn't want you to be creepy. He doesn't want you to be wacky, but He does want you to be Christ-like. 
He does want you to recognize the freedom that you've been given. He does want you to recognize that something has happened when you were saved that brought your life to a whole other level of being. But hell pulls us down so quickly into the habits of the past life. But God, this is why I keep saying rejoice, and again I say rejoice. I could quote tons of scriptures, or we could pull them all out, and like I said, the, the Hebrew meaning for the word rejoice means brighten up. So I used to tell people all the time, the Bible says rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Now think about it, again I say, it's a, it's a command. He said, he says, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Brighten up. Why are you cast down on my soul? Ask the question. When this hunk of meat remember, starts to go crazy, remind it. Why are you cast on my, down on my soul? I will yet bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You tell your soul what to do. Bless the Lord in this situation. Right now I'm going to bless the Lord by giving him my free will offerings of thank you, thank you, thank you, praise you, praise you, praise you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you can laugh and praise yourself into a good place. Even our music. I know there's still people that think sometimes we get a bit too much. But, I, you know, like we said already, the Bible has all these statements about wild, enthusiastic strains. The people of God were not ashamed to make noise. They worshiped God. And yes, thank God, God has graced us a little bit. It said, David said, you know, find those people who can play skillfully. And God's brought us some people who can pray, who can play skillfully. And the thing is, if you, you know, and even that, if you have that desire in your heart, say it, tell him, tell God, I want to play skillfully and let it begin. So here's all this happens. And again, cast all your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him because he cares for you affectionately and he'll and he cares about you watchfully and again it's something you just have to dare to believe God you know it's like remember when the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the storm they said can you imagine saying this about Jesus Christ don't you care that we're about to perish do you understand the indictment in that the very son of God who they said they see, they believe he's the Messiah. And then they said, because of a storm, you don't care. How many times have we in our life said, you know, I don't know if this God stuff is real or not, actually. Because it seems to me he doesn't care. If he did care, he surely would have done something by now. But be honest, right? We've all been there. That's why you needed to know the word. You needed to know David was there. David said, had I continued to think those thoughts, my feet would have slipped from the sanctuary of the righteous. My feet would have slipped from the sanctuary of the righteous had that happened. Hallelujah. I don't want that to happen to any of you. Learn to take those anxieties and those worries and about all this stuff and cast them upon the Lord once and for all. It takes faith. It takes faith. I'm not saying it's easy. Hallelujah. It's like I got another little silly story. The man, a man's praying. He, well, a man starts to talk to God. And he says, God, how long is a million years to you? God says, it's about a second, my son. The man, God, how much is a million dollars to you? 
God says, it's just a penny to me. Man said, God, can I have a penny? God said, wait a second. Hallelujah. I'm going to go. I'm going to finish. I'm just going to the second article, guys, if you would. And I'm going to read this article. Speak to a couple of things in it, and we're going to finish. The White Bunny story. You got that? Can you get that up, guys, the second one? Everybody say, White Bunny. Turn to your neighbor and say, You look quite like a white bunny. And I'm not, see, I'm, that made me feel bad to myself then because I'm remembering my old psychedelic days with Grace Slick back in San Francisco, you know. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, about white bunnies. This is from, this was an article from the Cleveland Wellness Clinic. The white bunny story. Everybody say, I'm so intrigued. We did a little experiment. This is a, a follow-on from the previous week's lesson. In the experiment, we told you to think about anything you want, anything you like for the next 30 seconds with the exception of a white bunny. So right now, I want you to take 30 seconds and I want you to think about anything that you want except a white bunny. You ready? Go. And the fact is, you can't. <laughs> you thought of the white bunny, right? When you try to suppress your thoughts, you end up thinking those thoughts, not less but more. That goes for positive and negative thoughts, which means that you can't make yourself happier and more positive just by pushing away or blocking off your negative thoughts. It simply won't work. Instead, you must, and I've spoken on this before, but I, I like finding a uh, little research article that was by the actual clinic, but from the National Science Foundation. I make this statement a lot, but I want you to hear it. He said, instead, you must realize that your thoughts are not facts. But this is a statement, this next paragraph is what really, really touched me. As we discussed in yesterday's topic, most of us experience our thoughts as facts. When you experience your thoughts as real and automatic, you live much of your life caught up in your thoughts and you're not present to what is happening right now. But by spending time in meditation, and learning to live mindfully, you'll begin to experience that your thought, you'll begin to your, experience your thoughts as passing mental events. Listen, look at this next phrase. And you'll learn to observe, you'll learn to observe your thoughts. I want, you really need to hear this. God wants you and I, and this is the phrase God gave me last night when I was looking at this. I just heard him say this. He said, I want you to learn how to create separation. To create separation from your thoughts and you. Your thoughts are not facts. Your thoughts aren't you. But like I've shared many times, when you have thought one way for so long, you begin to identify with those thoughts. 
but you must, I mean, science itself has proven this. Your thoughts are, are just subjective events that you can either react to or not react to. You must learn to observe them. In other words, when this thought comes, if it's a wrong thought, if a foul thought, I must, hmm, I look at that, and because I have knowledge that I'm spirit first, not soul first, because I live now by the spirit. I walk after the spirit, and therefore I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I create separation. That thought is not me. I'm gonna, I observe it though, I see it, I see what you're trying to do. I see you, oh renegade thought that you are. You're trying to get me to bow down to lesser information. You're trying to get me to bow down to lesser information than what I know to be the knowledge of God. Second Corinthians, bring every thought into captivity to the mind of Christ. If you don't, it says, well, we're again pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, bringing every thought into captivity. Remember the basic teaching about that? I, I, when I first saw this all those years ago, it so hit me. If you continue to think and you identify, if you identify, if you don't create space between the thought and you, and you take, Jesus said, take no thought, that's beneath the kingdom. But if I begin to take thoughts that are beneath the kingdom, pretty soon they'll turn into imaginations. In other words, visuals come. Image. I begin to see this thought coming to pass. And if I imagine it, if I just keep on imagining, imagining, if I don't know how to cast them down, the imagination can very quickly become a strong hold in my thinking. Right? But that's why the next verse in Corinthians says, but take every thought captive. It says being willing to bring into obedience. Being willing to bring into obedience any other thing that would be against God. Remember, Satan's job is to exalt his kingdom above the kingdom of God. To exalt his knowledge above the knowledge of God. We're to live by the knowledge of God. Hell tries to come up with the wrong, wrong thought, a line thought. He wants to push, he wants to push that thought off the throne of our thinking until we now, <clears throat> till we're now thinking what he wants us to think, until we begin to see what he wants us to see, until we have such a stronghold that that's all that we see. Now that's the way it works. It really does, man. You don't have to believe me, but that's the way it works. When you get to heaven, God will say, Rob was right. But you know, we're so quick to uh, magnify the negative of that. Think about, this is why, again, this is a teaching we've done before, but you see, we have, to re we have to review and come back and forth with these things over and over again. We get new people in the church. We begin to let these truths slip. But think about it. If we can, the same thing will work in the positive. If we can get you to think the thoughts of God. If we can get you to think the thoughts of God, if we can get you to make space, to create separation between anti-kingdom thoughts, to the point that you begin to say, I am not that, get out of my mind, in the name of Jesus. 
I'm going to replace you with this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm the head and I'm not the tail. You can think the right thoughts long enough that you know what? You'll get imaginations, but now you're getting images. You're seeing yourself free. You're seeing yourself on the other side. You see yourself successful. You see yourself finding the right clients. You see yourself finally having that breakthrough. You see yourself being promoted. You see it. You've got an image of it. I know because God's faithful. My God is faithful. Hallelujah. Promotion cometh neither from the east or the west, but it comes from above. It comes from the Lord. So I think the right, if I can get you to think the right thoughts, so lead into the right imaginations. And if you keep imagining what God, God loves your imagination. That's why he loves children so much. Your children just believe. They haven't been taught how not to believe. You can begin to believe and see pictures of things going right so well that you know what? You can create as it were a positive stronghold where suddenly this is where again I love my wife she's just she's, I'm blessed you can't tell her she's not she's just the way she is which has again helped me for all these years you know she just she just like again the, the classic statement that everybody knows Julie says I don't do grim that thing I said it last week too but I mean she just doesn't go there and there's some places you know you have to catch yourself because I try to go there but God is so faithful and no temptation tested trial has taken me but such a common all men God is faithful he will not allow me to be tested with that thought without giving me the strength to cast it down but we get you to think in the right thoughts you stay with it you stay with it you start renewing your mind you'll start having pictures everybody else say no 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 this is why again you've got to be careful who you constantly fellowship with you need to surround yourself with people of like minded faith you think right thoughts until you have such imaginations. You're just living in a wonderful world where God is altogether able to do what he said he would do. And to the point that you finally get to a place where he's strong. There's a strong, there's a strong hold in your thinking. And you're able to say, hallelujah, I am the head and not the tail. In other words, I'm not, let's see, where's that at? Deuteronomy 34, Deuteronomy 28. No, it's something that's start. It's written. It's written. It's written here. It's written right here. It's written right here. I'm the head, and not the tail. I will never fail. I will never, ever, ever fail because I've already won really anything and everything I could ever want in Christ. I just have to think right. Hallelujah. But think about that. That again. But by spending time in meditation, learning to live like mindfully you'll begin to experience your thoughts as a passing mental event and you'll learn to observe your thoughts when you're the observer of your thoughts you create space around them when you created that space you can look at your thoughts dispassionately and question your own thinking and not believe everything that you're thinking we think a lot each person, this article says, has an average of 60,000 thoughts a day. That's one thought per second in every waking hour. Amazingly, amazingly, 95% are the same thoughts repeated every day. That's true. On average, 80% 
Think about that, man. 80% of those habitual thoughts are negative. Unfortunately, our brains are hardwired to pay more attention to negative experience than to positive ones. That's why our brains are designed to take in and register negative experiences more deeply than positive experiences. This served us well. In fact, it was critical for survival when man was first on Earth. When we were foraging for food centuries ago, we paid close attention to anything that might place us in danger like a saber-toothed tiger. In other words, God put that in us as a safety mechanism. But see, over the ages, hell has turned it into just the opposite. We even have a name for this type of thinking. It's called negativity bias. And it's not a great prescription for happiness. Through MRI imaging, now this is similar again to this chemical thing, but really hear this. It's true. Through MRI, how many, anybody in here ever had an MRI besides being? Sure, people have. Absolutely. Through MRI imaging, researchers have proven that negative thoughts stimulate the areas of the brain that promote depression and anxiety. They've also proven that positive thoughts set off a cascade of positive hormones throughout the body that results in feelings of calm and peace. Again, guys, hear me. God may, I'm not talking about positive thinking for the sake of positive thinking. I'm trying to explain to you how God made you. When you think good thoughts are part of the brain, releases chemicals that will promote you to happiness and a calm life. If you're only looking at how bad that's going to be, blah, 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 and you live here, you know, it's going to be funky. <laughs> Last paragraph, the good news is, everybody say good news. <clears throat> the good news is we can train our brains to think new and different thoughts. That's the renewing. That's what Paul says. That's what God gave him to say. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing, the metamorphosis. That's the Greek word there, remember, metamorphosis. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might be able to prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. The good news is we can train our brains to think new and different thoughts. The topic of what makes people happy has become a favorite of researchers around the world. The results of some of this research show that happy people question their own thinking. When we question our thoughts, we change our relationship with our thinking. And we're able to choose what we believe and what we respond to in our lives. In that way, we reclaim power. We reclaim power from our habitual thinking and all of those negative thoughts. Amen. Stand up with me. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 